Welcome to WeAreTechnology.com's User-Friendly 2.0 with host Bill Sickens, Technology Architect. And this is User-Friendly 2.0. Welcome. We've got a great show for you this week. We're going to be looking at some tabletop gaming and my first experience running one of these things. And uh, it had some interesting quirks, to say the least. Also coming up is Steve Mailer with his guest, Eddie V. Hill. He's an inspiring film script supervisor, and he's directed some films of his own and tells us a little bit about what is going on in that world. We've got a Q&A for you this week, and also coming up right now, after the sponsor, our news. Today's news is brought to you by Smockville Brewhouse in Old Town Sherwood, a high-end eatery where one can enjoy reasonably priced but classy and updated bar foods, along with local brews and wines. See smockvillebrewhouse.com for more information. So Gretchen, what's in the news this week? Some stimulus checks arrive on debit cards. Yeah, this is something that uh, the IRS is wanting to let people know because apparently they've been receiving these debit cards thinking they're junk mail and throwing them in the trash and there goes your stimulus check. Yeah. And uh, so just something to watch for because it is legitimate that some of these payments are coming out on a debit card, and it's a completely different set of instructions. If you get a check, you deposit the check. The debit card, you have to go to an ATM. I don't know if there's a fee or not for withdrawing the money, but it definitely would work in that fashion. So it's definitely something to take a look at and just be aware of. I'm not sure if this is an example of new technology being better than the old, uh, doing this through debit cards. But it is what's going on, and uh, it's just something to be aware of. Apparently, we have spinach sending emails. Oh, that sounds interesting. Okay, this isn't April Fool's. Jeremy, what is this? Okay, (laughs) apparently some scientists at MIT have been using nanotechnology on spinach plants. And what happens is uh, they create um, a rudimentary sensor for when the plant's come into contact with certain kinds of elements in the soil. So the, the plants hit the soil, they sample it, and apparently it's, it puts a, a color change in their leaves, which is detectable by camera, which then sends an email to the scientist saying, hey, there's a change. Okay. So This, this makes I mean, me think of the Muppet Show when, they, when they had that giant <laughs> carrot singing. I'm sorry. Yeah, well, it's, it's almost, it's not really genetic engineering, but it's, they're just, you know, doing weird things with nanotechnology, but they've managed to make plants into sensors. <laughs> like, okay. Now, what is it, what is the purpose of this? Like climate change or weather? Yeah, they're they're it's studying um, groundwater and whether or not when the plants come into contact with certain elements, if we can detect it. Okay. I mean, so that's it's like if you interesting. If, <laughs> yeah, if you plant if you plant a bunch of plants in an area with with high radioactivity. Will the will the they you know come into contact with the groundwater that has a radioactivity in it and then be detectable? That could I, be kind of cool. Actually, I, I, yeah, I could see you know I can see a lot of application for this. It sounds kind of weird, but honestly, it isn't. And you're not introducing anything into the environment that shouldn't be there because you're using plants. So it's kind of a great right. way of dealing with it. Interesting. All right, we'll have to follow up on that and see if it actually gets used. Yeah. Malware targets Knox player. I don't know what this is. Can you explain that? I can explain that. So back, uh, just to kind of give a point of reference here, back in December, we had the SolarWinds hack where the bad actors were able to inject software essentially into an update stream 
and therefore infect all of the computers that were being updated. And we've got a similar situation here. Nox Player is something used by gamers for the purpose of running mobile games on a PC. So that's what the program does. Hmm. And um, there's there's a couple of these out there. This one is very widely used. And what's happened is the bad actors have been able to do the same thing where they've hacked the update stream and planted malware in this. So if you're a gamer or even not a gamer, but if you use Nox Player, you want to check for malware because this is something that's probably going to be on your computer and something that you're going to want to deal with. And uh, virus software, that kind of a thing, wouldn't have blocked it because it was a valid update, automatic update. Oh, jeez. Hackers attack Sonic Wall. Yeah, Sonic, Sonic Wall is a kind of firewall that's used on uh-huh. higher-end enterprise computers. And uh, this is there's a number of these out there. Cisco makes products uh, of this nature. Sonic Wall, uh, F5 Networks is another one. Anyway, these are all designed to put a, essentially a wall, as they're called, between the internet and whatever's happening on the inside of your system. So in order to get in, break in through the front door, the first place to do that would be the firewall. And in this case, hackers have been able to successfully breach some of Sonic Wall's systems. The details of which ones and where are on their website, and they do have an update available. So if you have an affected version of this and don't have automatic updates configured, you definitely want to go through and do this. And remember that even though this is a piece of hardware, it is still a computer. So it's running software inside, and that software can be updated and can be changed, and in this case can be breached. So it's uh, think about it the same way as if that happened on your regular computer. You run the update, and it should take care of the problem. Android 12 updates. Yeah, so Android 11 just came out. And uh, we are already seeing a rollout of that in a lot of places we already have. And uh, Android 12 is the next version, which I think we're not going to see probably until this fall. Uh, There's a number of prototyping and beta copies and testing-type copies that are going on in the first couple of months. But the thing about it is, is they have started announcing what features and what upgrades we're going to get. Most of the newer Samsung phones will get this. If you have a Pixel phone, Pixel 3 and higher, will get the update. So it's still in play for a lot of uh, technology, even some of the older devices that are out there. But the biggest thing is that they're taking the Android core, the kernel, which is the actual piece of the operating system that makes it work, and are doing it in such a way that it can be updated through Google Play which that makes an interesting difference in the way that this is handled, security updates and all of that kind of thing. Whether or not this is actually going to come into the final version is yet to be seen, but if they can make it work and make it work properly, that would be very interesting because it would allow them to be able to handle the updates without having to go through the process they do right now, which requires shutting the phone off, waiting for the vendor to get it ready and all of that kind of stuff. So that's one big thing. The other thing that's interesting is they're upgrading their multitasking, and there's a feature that allows you to treat multiple applications running simultaneously as one task. So if they can make that work properly, that would actually beat out some of the multitasking features that we have on the bigger computers. I have been one because usually your smartphone screen, even your tablet screen, is a little smaller, that using multitasking in those environments is not as effective from that end. But there's a lot of people that do find it beneficial. So having it work and, and work this well actually would make a lot of sense. And there's going to be a lot of other little changes and features. We're looking at some updates to the user interface that are still being modified. The way that it handles battery power is going to be updated for a positive. 
that type of a thing. But yeah, definitely coming out, going to be in the pipeline pretty soon. And like I say, I think we'll start seeing a rollout of this if all goes well, August, September, some kind of a time period like that. Ford vehicles will run on Android beginning in 2023. Yeah, our Tech Wednesday topic for this week. And <laughs> if you are a fan of Android, you might want to get a Ford or a Lincoln car. Those are the two vehicles that are going to use this. And what this is, is basically the Android operating system will be built into the dash. So things like your maps, things like your automated assistant, all of that kind of stuff will be handled without the need for a smartphone, but still on the Android operating system. One of the other cool features about this, too, is there is some talk about the ability to install apps into the dash from Play Store. And uh, (laughs) I don't know if it's going to be completely compatible with everything. I would think probably not. Uh, certain things while you're driving, you, you know, you wouldn't necessarily yeah. want. But it is kind of interesting to be able to have an update process because this will allow Ford vehicles to plug into an ecosystem of software that they don't have to create and one that a lot of people already use. Now, some of the questions that are being asked on this, if you use an iPhone or you, you know, just uh, left in the switches, and the answer to that is no. It will still work with CarPlay, so you can use your iPhone as you would now. And you can change the automated assistant from Google to Alexa, uh, you know, so it's not locking you in necessarily to only the Google ecosystem. But uh, there's a lot of places where this goes that it could be could be pretty interesting. Ford's not the only company doing this, by the way. A lot of our automobile manufacturers are looking to combine with different automation technologies to be able to offer some of the things with that. And car manufacturers are trying to figure out a way like your phone where they can sell subscriptions within the car. So even after you buy it or if you buy it used, there's still a way for the original manufacturer to make some money off of it and on these kind of ongoing things. One of the other things that was put out there was this idea of a car, BMW was going to do this, a car would be sold with every possible feature, but then you'd have to pay a monthly fee for which ones you wanted. So if you wanted heated seats, that was X amount of dollars per month. Needless to say, that did not go over well and it seems like they've backed off. Good. This, this is User Friendly 2.0. We've got a great show for you this week. After the break, we've got an interview and we're going to be talking a little bit tabletop gaming. We'll be right back. Welcome back. This is User-Friendly 2.0. We're going to be talking tabletop gaming. We haven't done that for a little while, really. And with me, Jeremy, Gretchen, Bill, welcome. Hey. Hey. So I had my first experience at running a game. And uh, so what was everybody's opinion? Be kind. Well, I mean, it was your second chance, but uh, we know we don't talk about your Star Trek game. Uh, No, no. no. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, that was deleted from memory. Um, <laughs> yeah, it, was great. You know. it was great. Yeah, yes. it was delightful. Yes. Uh, no, you did well. You did well for a first time DM. You know, I've been doing this for, geez, I've been playing for almost 15 years at least. Yeah. Yeah. So where I ended up yeah. going with this is I found a module. And what these are are stories that you can use within the different gaming systems that are kind of like a script, I guess would be the best way to put it. And it gives a set of circumstances that you're supposed to follow. and. We ended up uh, going a space of three weekends. I followed it the first weekend and then kind of used it very loosely after that. Um, 
And my reason for doing that was actually there, there were two parts of it. The official reason was just I wanted a little bit more flexibility with the story. The unofficial reason is I screwed up when I was reading it, missed a level, had to put it back in somehow, and needed to figure out a way to make it work. But these things <laughs> are possible to do. Um, <laughs> you it know, was it, fun. Yeah, you know, it was fun. Now, was it a test game? Wasn't it an incomplete yeah, it was a test game, game that you um, were came out helping from a somebody? Else? Company called Arcane Eye. It was published electronically in October, and uh, was made available for testing out. So that's where I got a hold of it. As far as I know, there's not a physical copy like where you can buy it yet. I do think they're planning on going in that direction. And that company has made a lot of other things that are third party for different gaming systems, including Dungeons and Dragons. So, you know, from that standpoint, it had electronic maps, it had a storyline, all that kind of stuff I think was very well done. It was just there were pieces of it where you would think something was pretty, you know, commonplace that was going to happen uh, that would follow pro forma and gaming, and it didn't. Uh, one example was to go back and rescue these prisoners that uh, yeah. we by, and uh, and that wasn't a change I made either. That was simply not in the script. So you know, it just it, it's from that kind of a standpoint. The best thing that I think I found from all of this is number one, you want to read the module from end to end before you start doing anything with it. So oh yeah, that's lesson number one for next time. <laughs> that and, makes sense. You know, and number two is it is next to impossible to time it. Um, I, I don't. Oh, if, yeah. if you disagree with me, chime right in here. But you uh, don't know what no. your players are going to do. No, you never know what's going to take so long because you'll, you know, uh, I'm doing descent into Avernus for them, and sometimes you're just like, ah, this will take 20 minutes, and it's like, okay, three hours later, how did this? What? Yeah, yeah. What yeah. did we do? You and some of it's like, ah, uh, this will take forever to get through, and it's like. Oh, how how did you bypass all of it? <laughs> yeah, it is. Well, like 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 uh last weekend, um Bill Snodgrass sounded annoyed with us when we found uh one of the main bad guys. I you know, know, in that are you you annoyed. had this uh, are you oh, okay. sure? Oh, okay. Because <laughs> it like, sounded hey, like, look. oh, you found her. <laughs> <laughs> oh no, I was off at a weird place that day, but um <laughs> No, it had nothing to do with that. I was actually just trying to get into her character. Oh. Being <laughs> you know, now that's another interesting thing is, is your players and your player characters, because you do, for most of these, need certain roles to be met. And if they're not, uh, it can create some problems. In hindsight, and it's a note on the back page of this module, that everyone should have had stealth. And I think okay. we started to notice that kind of getting into it. Um, and it worked for what we had. I mean, we, we got through it, uh, but it was where I had to make some uh, little modifications as we were going along so that it would function properly. But Bill, like you're saying, you know, from that standpoint too, we had one room in there where there was a reason that they needed to get a certain weapon. So they needed to search the, the you know, all these crates that were sitting around. And I'm going, oh, there's crates and they're big and you're hiding behind them and they look all very interesting. No one would search the crates. And <laughs> yeah. Sorry, we didn't get the hint. No. Maybe you should have said that they had special like writing on them. You know, maybe that would have helped. I think I, I did. I think I, I don't oh. remember exactly oh. anymore. But uh, but it was like there was that type of thing. And then one of the other problems I ran into, and I'm sure there's a better way to handle this, but there was a situation where the monsters were being defeated for some reason by one of our players at exactly a zero out. So there was supposed to be a different reaction from these things, but it was making him believe every time he did what he did, it would take care of these individuals, and it wasn't supposed to. 
but roll the dice. That's exactly what happened. <laughs> so, you know, I, I, I just, I really enjoy doing it. I'd love to do it again. Um, the system does play into this too. And what everybody was teasing me on in a little bit is I tried to do a Star Trek game and it was just one of these things where really everything that could go wrong did go wrong. The, uh, technology we were trying to use, uh, we were having a problem with that. It deleted, uh, the, the game that I had preloaded. So we had to quickly load it back up. But then on top of that, the gaming system itself, even if you were playing at tabletop and we were in the same room, would have still, I, I don't know, it wasn't something that I would have necessarily preferred. Although, well, yeah, yeah go, I go mean, ahead. what it was, what it was is like everything getting up to one point was like, oh, this is really streamlined. This is really easy. This is really great. And then the combat mechanics were just like, what? What do you mean? This is what? What? Yeah. Why? How did it get complicated? Why? Why is this complicated? And I know we went through, we were trying to, trying to figure it out and that I had read, but it just didn't, it, it wasn't There was intuitive. also, uh, there was like a lack of um, chain of command. Like if you watch Star Trek, um, the shows, the, the, the characters follow a chain of command and it didn't feel like there was one person who was the captain or leader. Yeah. And so there was like a chaos amongst all of us who were playing because right. there was no captain to follow, you if know, that makes of, any sense. One of the other things, too, is it wasn't as open world. Um, a lot of the games we play are, you know, whatever the players do can be reacted to. This was almost like a choose-your-own-adventure in a way where you were given a list of items and you chose from that list of items, and that was the extent of it. Um, which I'm not sure if that's a good thing or a bad thing necessarily. It's just a different technique. And, um, you know, so I was getting used to some of these different type of things. So I'm going to have to ask you the question. Am I ever going to be allowed to DM again? Sure. sure. Why okay. not? All right. Hey, that, you know, that makes me feel a little bit good. <laughs> so we'll have to kind of see where this goes and what happens next. And we're out of time. This is user-friendly 2.0. We'll be back with our Q&A after the break. Welcome back. This is User-Friendly 2.0. This is the section of the show where you send your questions and we try to answer them. How do you send us your questions? I am so glad you asked. This is the big question we get every week, and that's 503-766-6264 by phone. Give us a call and leave us a message, or if you'd prefer to use social media, I mean, it is 2021. That's one user-friendly on Facebook or one user-friendly on Twitter. What do we have questions this week? Does not answering robocalls reduce them? Yeah, I, I wish this was true. It's not. <laughs> uh, the short answer to this question is no. There is actually a robocall security lab that analyzes such things. And they've sat down and went through a volume of about 60,000 of these robocalls over a space of a couple of weeks and did a lot of analysis and different things like that. And they answered some of them and didn't answer some of them. And it seemed to make absolutely no difference. Uh, in the volume of calls. All of that stayed exactly the same. The one thing that they did notice is with all of the push that the government's been trying to do with locking caller ID and making it secure and all that kind of stuff, they were still coming in with fake phone numbers. They were still coming in with phone numbers that could be changed. And this type of a thing, there's still a lot of work to do to deal with this. And unfortunately, 
It doesn't seem like we've gotten along very far since we first started talking about this on the show well over a year ago now. So if you answer a robocall, it doesn't look like, at least from the research, that that's going to cause you to get more robocalls. What is going on with Fry's Electronics? Yeah, this has been a question a couple of times, and I've been trying to do a little bit of digging into this. First of all, Fry's Electronics is a big box electronics retailer. They Mm -hmm. differ a little bit from stores like Best Buy or some of the other ones that have gone out of business like Circuit City and CompUSA and all of that, in that in addition to selling all the normal electronics stuff, they sell components. So for people like me that are engineer, if you're in an area where there's a Fry's and they're all over the country. I mean, they have them mainly in California, Oregon, Washington. I think Georgia has one. Anyway, the uh, idea is, is if you were prototyping something, you've almost certainly been to one of these stores. And until recently, recently being about two years ago now, they were great. And then all of a sudden you would go into the store and Jeremy, I know you experienced this with me. Mm -hmm. Uh, The shelves are suddenly empty. And, and the staff the staff doesn't seem to know anything, and they all seem to be proud of the fact that they're not getting any supplies. Yeah, it was uh, you were looking for, I think, uh, filament, uh, like 3D filament or something like that. And, yeah. And uh, they, they, I remember that. We're, we're out of that, and we've been out of that for six months. And it's like, <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah. So I've been trying to do a little digging on this because there obviously is a feeling that there's potentially a financial problem at Fry's. And it wouldn't be that terribly unexpected with what's going on with big box and especially with COVID now, but this was going on even before that. And mm-hmm. um, checked into a few things. A few of their stores have closed. Uh, the one in Palo Alto, California, which was an old one, as a for example. And so, you know, the, from that standpoint, that's kind of interesting. However, according to Fry's, uh, they're absolutely adamant it's not due to financial problems. They just couldn't renew the lease on that location, which is also possible. The issue with all this kind of stuff is then, okay, why are the shelves empty? And it's very difficult to get them to actually respond to something. But doing a little bit of research, what they're saying is they're trying to change the store over from a normal model where they have inventory to a model where if anybody wants to sell through their store, they have to consign it. In other words, the inventory in the store is not bought by the Fry's Corporation. It's simply placed there by the manufacturer, and when it sells, if it sells, then that manufacturer gets some money for it. And this only works if all of your vendors are willing to do that, which Mm -hmm. obviously a lot of them are not. So what's happening is you have a combination of inventory that's still in the store from before this started, and that's normally the stuff that seems to be covered with dust, Uh uh, which is something I've also (laughs) noticed, which isn't a good sign. And then you have other things. So... As an experiment last fall, I needed to put together a new computer, and I wanted to do a high-end gaming computer. Bill, you and I talked about this on components and things and ordering them online from vendors and stuff, and I thought, well, let me at least try to do it at Fry's because that's the way that I would have done it in the past. So I tried to check it out, and even with COVID, you could go into the store. All of that was fine, but they only had in stock one CPU, and I believe it was a Pentium. Um, Ooh. And wow, they had that's really them. old. That's really old. And then they had to stock two motherboards, and neither of them would take the processor they had in stock. So, and I didn't dig into memory or anything beyond that because at that point it was obvious that I was not going to be able to accomplish my task. And you couldn't even order it; it wasn't available through their warehouses. And it turns out that several warehouses in California, main distribution ones like Hayward, have been closed as well. So, 
I don't know. They swear they're not going out of business. They swear they're not having financial problems, but it is not the fries that I remember. This is User-Friendly 2.0. We'll be back after the break. Welcome back. This is User-Friendly 2.0. Joining us now, Steve Mailer with his guest, Eddie V. Hill. Well, as always, thanks, Bill. You know, I have an opportunity to always work with a lot of really great people, and you kind of see, um, you meet them for the first time, and you kind of get a sense of who they are and what they know and what they do. And as things go on and as careers progress, you see them do some really, really cool things. And today's guest is an example of exactly that. Um, I met Eddie Vigil on the set of The Idaho Boys about four or five years ago, which was a comedy pilot. And Eddie was always one of those people who had a great energy and an interest in doing and learning anything and everything he could. Eddie, thank you so much for joining me on User Friendly today. Yes, yes. Thanks for, uh, thanks for having me. <laughs> well, you know, you're a hard guy to track down. <laughs> I've been trying to get you on the show for a while. <laughs> you always seem too busy doing either uh, some kind of film project or podcast of your own. I mean, you're, you're a pretty busy guy. Now, not long after Idaho Boys, I noticed you started doing some really, really cool work on a lot of film projects as, um, an, a, a, as a first assistant director and as a script supervisor. Tell us about some of those experiences. Okay, yeah. Um, so, yeah, Idaho Boys was a, uh, what we were doing, a, that was like a pilot that was being shot out in Reno. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, I was always trying to get involved with whatever I could um, film-wise. And, I mean, I would hop from project to project and make my own stuff with the community through uh, the little film group called Reno Film Collective that I, that I got going. Um, and then it would pop on whatever else productions I could I could jump on um I'm trying to think of specifics here but uh all over the place man yeah. making my own stuff from the writing directing editing acting and uh and you know finding my way into into bigger roles and in, in different productions so awesome so one thing I've learned is that you're no longer in Reno you're now in Los Angeles uh correct yes I was I did. I did the best that I could with gaining the experience that I, that I felt I could gain in Reno. Um, during what I, I jumped into film, maybe twenty twenty thirteen, getting my my toes dipped in there. Awesome. And uh, spent spent five years gathering that experience, and then made my jump in uh, late twenty eighteen to to Los Angeles. Okay. And now, um, one of the things I think you mentioned is. You did one of the first projects, I think, after Idaho Boys, is you, you found yourself on a set. Was it out in Carson City? Uh, yeah. I mean, I would jump around from, I mean, projects are in varying, varying scopes. Of Definitely. course. Definitely. There's, you know, commercials that drop in and short films and my own stuff. But yeah, uh, the Carson City project was um, Mustang. Uh, that was, a, I think, like a $7 million independent film. Wow. Awesome uh, opportunity to to land on that. That's a pretty big budget for an independent film. Yes, that was uh, not 
budgets of that size don't land in the Reno area. Not very often. often. And uh, I, I ended up being a personal assistant to the director on that. So it was a great experience uh, getting the, the behind the scenes almost. Definitely. What that plays like sitting in all those meetings with the director, the director of photography, assistant director, and seeing that kind of show run was very that, uh, beneficial. That's an awesome way of, of getting a film education for sure. Because I also noticed that as I've been following kind of what you've been doing is that you've had your own, several of your own directorial tasks. And I think your short film, and if I'm, if I'm not mistaken, I think I saw a posting that you've recently completed posting on your first feature-length film. Is that correct? Uh, yes, yes, very much so. That has been a huge undertaking, <laughs> uh, definitely, when, when, when I... When I made the jump to Los Angeles, I uh, I finally made the decision. It's like, all right, enough short films. Time to make a feature film. Yeah. And spent 2019 on the pr- pr- producing and getting that thing shot. 2020 was about getting it out of post production. Of course. And uh, it's looking to come out come out soon. Uh, details on that to come. I'm sure. I'll Fantastic. To that. So now this feature film that you did is that, is that something that you also wrote? Because I know you're, I, if I'm not mistaken, you're a prolific writer. Oh, thank you so much. <laughs> I wouldn't know if I'd say prolific. Prolific, oh, okay. Uh, it's a, you know, you know, work in progress, I sure. feel like. Uh, but yes, I wrote it, directed it, produced. Uh, the budget that I worked with was in the low five-figure range, which is tiny for such a project. So I've had to do... That's amazing. A lot, a lot of sweat equity is what I would, is what I, would I mean, call it. edited it myself yeah. primarily. And, and out of curiosity, what did you post that on? What's what software did you edit with? Uh yes, uh, the Adobe Suite. Okay, uh, Adobe Premiere Pro. Yep, is, me uh, too. The software I used for that. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I've been an Adobe. I've been a Premiere user probably since 1992. So, um, oh, nice. Yeah. yeah. So it's kind of what I learned with and cut my teeth on when it came to nonlinear editing was was Adobe. And some people say it's not the best out there. Other people say that's the only thing they work on. So it's kind of a mixture of um, people who are pro and con, but I happen to love it. So, And I think it has a lot of flexibility. Now, um, aside from the filmmaking work, I've uh, also kind of followed along and, and learned that you do a lot of your own podcasting production. Uh, yeah, podcasting is brand new to me. I feel like it's a uh, it's a big, um, you know, a lot of. I feel like a lot of people out of uh, you know quarantine, lockdown, COVID, mm-hmm. COVID life. There's just this this desperateness to to do something. Yeah. While we're while we're waiting for the world to uh, chill out. Um, yeah. I... So yeah, no, I picked up. For me, it was about connecting with people, having an excuse to have these conversations. Sure. Of course, I mentioned, um, or I don't know, I didn't mention it, but that I, I aim for the extended, uh, lengthy ones. I'm going yes. for the two to three hour, wow, two to three hour length on that to, uh, man, get that, get that fixed. That's almost like a documentary. I mean, that's Forever. all. I mean, that's uh, now. How can people tune into your podcasts? Where can they hear them? Yeah, I mean, I I try to keep all my stuff very, um, I was going to say approachable, that's not the right word, but if you go to my website, Eddie V Hill V, V Hill spelled vigil, like everything is there. I've got information on my feature film. Okay. You can watch my short films there. My podcast is also there. Fantastic. Um, All on my website. Nice. All in one place with one-stop shopping. 
So, yes. so what are some of the things that you have coming up real quickly or anything? Uh, yes, no, for sure. I mean, mm-hmm. I mean, for me currently, the goal is, uh, my primary gig out here in Los Angeles has been freelancing as a script supervisor. Okay. Um, I am looking to potentially be joining the script supervisor union this year, awesome. um, which is exciting, jumping on bigger projects, getting Absolutely. that experience, yeah. um, releasing the feature film. I am planning on continuing the podcast. That's a weekly, weekly installment, and hopefully I can keep that up the entire year. There you go. As well as... Um, you're just you're, on, on the next feature. You're just a really busy, busy guy. Well, Eddie, I do appreciate you being with us here on User Friendly. <laughs> it's been fun catching up. It's been a while, but I do appreciate you being Man. with us today. And uh, all the best of luck. Just keep keep going strong. Yes, appreciate it. Oh, it's been a pleasure, sir. Bill, Jeremy, and Gretchen, guys, take it away. Steve, thank you. We'll be back after the break. Welcome back. Great show this week. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I, I, I still am kind of uh, trying to understand the spinach sending email. I mean, mm-hmm. I already was out there when the refrigerator was sending email. So now the spinach is sending email. I didn't, yeah. Uh, Please know. send drawings to uh, our Facebook page and Twitter. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. I mean, you know, it just. Uh, oh God. <laughs> Well, you know, we're still dealing with uh, COVID and we're still at home and all of that kind of stuff. So we're still streaming everything. And ah, uh, we got it. Sounds like you got a few more shows for us. Yeah. Um, just uh, the other day on Netflix, I came across something called The Dig. And that was basically a movie. And it's based on historical events mm-hmm. of um, a family hiring an archaeologist to come and dig up these mounds on their property. And this happens just before World War II starts. And uh, Jeremy, you were really familiar with the items. You'd heard about it. I've heard about it before. Uh, Actually, anybody who who likes armor and treasure and Vikings remembers the Sutton Who dig and all the cool things that came out of that. The dig is dealing with Sutton Who. And all the cool stuff that came out of it, because the the British uh, museum guy was like, "Oh no, it couldn't possibly be that." And I'm looking at it like, "Well, of course it is. What are you? Are you an idiot? How did you get your degree?" <laughs> <laughs> so it, it it was a good movie to watch. Yeah, it was fun, especially when you if you like um, Lord Voldemort not being Lord Vol- Voldemort because that was really cool. Yeah, I kept thinking this guy looks familiar. This guy looks familiar, and then you're like, oh. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Cool. Then the other show that we watched is the second season of Jurassic Park. Camp Cretaceous. It was. It's a cartoon. It's animated. You know. It's like, oh, hey, cool dinosaurs and and uh, Jurassic Park stuff. And I think they did a better. I think this the second season was better. Yes. I think the kids interacted better with each other. The characters they smelt felt more natural. Yeah. And um, I think the story was a little more cohesive. And it was it was fun. I, I still have a problem with the adults abandoning a group of children that they know are are on the island. They just like nope, nope, we gotta leave. Bye. I got the storyline from somewhere, I guess. 
Uh, yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. If you don't have a problem, then you don't have a story. Yeah, it's <laughs> yeah, just so, what it is. True for everything. We've also watched the first four episodes of WandaVision. Oh, if you enjoyed yeah. the Marvel Universe and trying to figure out um, what happened between the snap and the blip and what happens when someone who can alter reality goes crazy. Okay, so yeah, Wanda, the, the, WandaVision's one I think history. I'm going to watch. Yeah, it, it looked yeah, interesting. It, it's, pretty, it's pretty intense because you're kind of like – Okay, this is really weird. What are they doing? Oh, I understand. Wait, so, this doesn't make any sense at all. WandaVision's on Disney Plus, so I have to look mm-hmm. into that and see what else there is. And that's our time for this week. So until next week, this is User Friendly 2.0, keeping you safe on the cutting edge. User Friendly 2.0, copyright 2014 to 2021, User Friendly Media Group Inc. The views and opinions expressed on this show are those of the host and not necessarily User Friendly Media Group Inc. or the station. Music licensing by BMI. Hosting provided by WeAreTechnology.com. Podcast available at userfriendlynation.com, theanswerportland.com, or anywhere you listen to podcasts.